for the vast majority, franchising is a better path because you have a playbook on day one. You're starting on third base, not first base. I could sense that what they were wearing was not comfortable. What can I do to pay back these beautiful caregivers? To me, the best batches are the ones that allow you to fall asleep fastest, stay asleep longest, and get up when the most rested. That's what we designed for, just based on those goals for everybody. I'm Richard Gerhardt. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. You've just heard some snippets from our show. It was a fantastic show. Stay tuned for the whole thing. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property lawyer specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not a lawyer, but I work at Richard's law firm, Gearhart Law, doing the marketing, and I have my own startup. Welcome to Passage to Profit, everybody, the show that's all about entrepreneurism, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. Our special guest, John Austinson, is a king of franchising. He's the CEO of Franbridge Consulting, and he's among the top 1% of national franchise brokers. And then we have two presenters with just incredible products. You got to check these out. Bonzi Lakani has scrubs, healing hands scrubs, and he sent me a pair and I tried them on. I did not want to take them off. Yes, she put them on <laughs> last <laughs> night and she did not want to take them off. They, I they tried. so comfortable. We'll let him talk about that later. And then we have Wen Yueni with her Cleon. This is so innovative. He makes sheets according to people's physical characteristics. I looked at his website and I was just blown away. I didn't even know that there was such a thing, but he's done a whole bunch of research. So you have to listen to what he has to say. It's incredible. It's really innovative and creative because you just normally think of sheets as sheets, but he's taking it to a whole new level. So it really is. Before we get to our distinguished guests, it's time for IP in the news. Well, we are going to talk about the value of patents because Columbia University was awarded over $185 million for patent infringement by? By Norton LifeLock Incorporated. So we can talk about this because it's in the public domain, but what happened with the lawsuit? Well, Norton LifeLock, who protects other people from cybersecurity threats, <laughs> took some cybersecurity <laughs> protection they, software they... <laughs> from Columbia and used it in their product. Right. So really not such a good look for Norton LifeLock. You know, what were they thinking? And it's not like they just developed it independently. They worked with Columbia University to develop the technology. And so, of course, Columbia got mad and they filed a lawsuit. And one of the interesting things was that LifeLock went behind Columbia University's back and filed a patent also covering their technology. And Columbia never knew about it. And so part of the lawsuit was to get the inventorship on that hidden patent. They Corrected. filed a patent application. Did it issue as a patent? Yes, it would have had to because oh, okay. it was in a patent lawsuit. So the patent would be invalid if it didn't have proper inventorship. Well, that's always a potential. The case law is split on that. But I, I would say for our listeners, one of the IP takeaways from our roundtable today is making sure that you get 
the inventorship right on your intellectual property because knowingly leaving somebody off can be the basis for making your patent bad and making it unenforceable. Unenforceable. So let's do Richard's Roundtable. All right, John, you're our first target for Richard's Roundtable. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you think. Richard, fascinating. It, it reminds me of a political story where they're, they're doing what they say not to do. But, you know, I think it's very relatable to general business too. And, you know, I always say the partnerships are great until they're not. So here they are, they've collaborated on a development, but things weren't clearly spilled out, you know, whether it be in a business in the operating agreement or in your world and the IP world, having scenarios play out and thinking ahead of time saves a lot of money, legal cost, and issues down the road. Absolutely. And your specialty is franchising, as we mentioned earlier. So part of the franchise model is having things spelled out so that there is clarity around these issues. It'd be interesting to get your take on intellectual property franchises if a franchisee invent something a little bit later, but that sounds like an incredible connection. Banzi, what are your thoughts? It's surprising that a company like Norton, who knows everything about infringement, willfully went on infringing on somebody else's work. We have situations here in our clothing industry whereby we unknowingly infringe on each other. But of course, the laws, I guess, in our industry, or at least in our products, are not so stringent. So the intellectual property rulings may not apply as much in our industry, but clearly in Norton's case, it's an embarrassment what they did. <laughs> I, $185 million I, embarrassment. I, yeah, and I'm not knocking Norton. I don't know anything about them as a company. It could be that this was some sort of accident. Infringement doesn't have to be intentional, or maybe they were a little bit too aggressive. Sometimes that happened, but they obviously, I think, hopefully learned a lesson through this experience. In the clothing industry, you're right. Clothing is harder to protect through intellectual property. At least the design and the look of the fashions are difficult. And it's really well known that the designers do their designing and then everybody looks at the designers and they make kind of adjustments. They change the materials, they change the cut a little bit, and then they sell it as a product. And that's how the whole industry works. Um, Yeah. In a way they say there is no original. Everything is a take from somewhere else and modified. In those cases, you can certainly trademark your brand, which we would always recommend, but unless there's something kind of special about the clothing, it is kind of difficult to protect. And we think about, for example, retro fashions where they start borrowing from years ago. So everything as old as new again, I suppose. When? what are your thoughts on all of this stuff? I'm not very huge in Japan. I don't know a whole lot about it. But while you were talking, I looked up Norn LifeLog's market cap. And it looks like, they, yes, they have to pay 180 you know, million. But being worth 14 billion, that sounds like a speeding to get to me because <laughs> it, it must be worth their time I, somehow because they're, you know, $14 billion, you know, that's a small price to pay. I have a car right now and I'm driving. I get a ticket. I pay the ticket. I keep moving and I get what I'm trying to go to. So if I have a meeting to get to, and the meeting, I'm going to make a million dollars in that meeting. I have to pay $200 ticket. I'll pay the ticket and then I'll, be, I'll get to the meeting, you know, on time. But I'm currently going through the patent process right now. So I'm kind of, you know, getting a lot more versed in the, in patenting. But it's really hard like in textiles to patent anything. 
Yeah. When I was on Shark Tank, they were like, why are you pirating patents? And I'm like, patents in textile, good luck. I mean, that's possible, but it's very hard because you just have to change a few things here, like you said, and then you're not infringing anymore. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, textiles has been a place where there's been a lot of investment for a long time in technologies. So it's hard to do something from a technical perspective that's really new in textile. So the patents tend to be narrower in scope. But from a marketing standpoint, there's obviously plenty of potential. And I see that you're capitalizing on that. Kenya, what are your thoughts? My question is more for you, Richard. What would you advise your clients in this situation like to do ahead of time to kind of get, get protected of and so on and so forth? First of all, something that John brought up, which is the contract and making sure that it's really clear. Legal tools can only take you so far. They're important. But at the end of the day, it's the business relationship that matters the most. And the legal stuff is only there as a backup. So you definitely want to pay attention to it, but you also want to have the right kind of relationship with your partner. If you're at the point where you're suing each other, that means the business relationship went south because they couldn't work it out. So that's one of the things. Choose your partners carefully, but then also have a good contract and good communication so everybody knows what's going on because somebody probably found out about this by surprise and they got upset. And so that prompted a lawsuit. So all of the things that you would do to conduct business in a positive way, you need to always do that. And that will help keep you out of lawsuits. And then if somebody is infringing, you do try to work it out. They should be getting some sort of royalty for their work, some sort of credit for it. And obviously they weren't for some reason. And that's what provoked this. Passage to Profit, The Road to Entrepreneurship. Richard Elizabeth Gearhart, our special guest, John Austinson. And we will be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Now it's time for John Austinson, who is the CEO of Franbridge Consulting. I take it that the Fran and Franbridge is because you have a daughter named Fran, right? <laughs> I told him not to. <laughs> not yet. Went down that path. Wife wouldn't let me. Uh, anyway, let's ask John what Frambridge does. <laughs> what does Frambridge do, John? Yeah, you know, sticking on the F word, you know, the F word meaning franchise. You know, when I when I say franchise, you think fast food. And the fact is there are 4,000 franchise brands in the U.S. alone. Roughly half of those operate in industries outside of food. And so it's a wide variety of industries. We have the opportunity to educate and take our clients through a very streamlined process 
of playing matchmaker, helping them understand the opportunities that are the best fit for them available in their market. And having been a past franchisor and multi-brand franchisee myself, I'm able to bring those insights into play to help new entrepreneurs get into business ownership. I have a ton of questions for you. So I think in my mind, the good thing about doing a franchise is all the infrastructure is set up. And so you can step in and know exactly what you have to do and know that if you follow this model, it will work and you will make money. Is that right? That's exactly right. I'll start out by saying franchising is not right for everyone. Some people insist on having their thumbprints all over a business. They don't want to stay within the lines. However, for the vast majority, franchising is a better path because it's exactly what you said. You have a playbook on day one. You're starting on third base, not first base. You've got a coach in that franchisor on the sidelines. You've got other franchisees living the same thing in other markets. You're able to exchange best practices. And then finally, from an exit standpoint, you get a higher multiple on average when you sell a franchise business versus non-franchise. There's been a lot of research and studies, which I'm happy to dig into, but there's a lot of value in that resale down the road as well. Do different franchisees allow different latitudes? Can franchisees experiment a little bit? Does it depend on the company that they're working with? Absolutely. It comes down to the leadership team. That's one of those things that we really vet and look closely at when we work with a client going through the process. Having been a franchisor myself of the Inc. 500 franchise, we grew largely because of the testing that our franchisees were doing. They made testing a new marketing vehicle in their local market. If it worked, we shared that with other franchisees. So you're constantly exchanging best practices. And I always encourage emerging franchisors to really give their franchisees some leeway to go outside the lines on occasion and run test. Well, I read the McDonald's book years and years and years ago, and they didn't do that. If you did not cross your T's and dot your I's the way that Ray Kroc wanted you to, you did not get another franchise from him. But by the same token, I had a teacher in high school way back when who said the reason people go to McDonald's is not for the food. It's, <laughs> it's because they know exactly what to expect. You could pull into any McDonald's across the country and get the same hamburger, right? So I think that is a beauty of franchises. I do think though, that having each one be a little different according to the owner's flair is more interesting. Yeah. And you certainly make adjustments to local markets too. I mean, the industries that we work in, you know, home and property services has been booming ever since COVID automotive, anything related to kids, pets, the aging population, these industries that people are willing to spend money on that Amazon's not going to disrupt, that COVID in large part won't disrupt. And I always joke that the non-sexy is the new sexy. People are gravitating towards opportunities like roll-off dumpsters or serve pro type models, water mitigation, mold remediation, things that in the past, you know, they wouldn't have been as attracted to back in the trendy days of food or even fitness. Health and wellness, that's another big area. And I think coming out of COVID, Elizabeth, a lot of people really questioned the path they're on and said, hey, maybe now's the time to scratch out entrepreneurial itch. And you know, roughly half of those that we work with are looking to make the jump oftentimes from the corporate world full-time. We actually just worked with a Wall Street attorney. He got into a gutter business. Beautiful financial model around that. <laughs> Mine was in the gutters. And, and, <laughs> but over 90% of those that we work with end up in an industry that was never on their radar and they never knew even participated in franchising. So that's what we love doing is really educating and helping that light bulb turn on to the types of opportunities. And frankly, 95% of my clients don't want food. In their minds, there are easier ways to make money with less risk and less capitalization. So uh, we're seeing a wide variety of backgrounds getting into a wide variety of industries. So what is the range of cost? If I wanted to buy a franchise, could I get one for under 10,000? Not under 10,000. I'd say 75% of the deals that we do are between 100,000 and 300,000. 
and then some a little higher, some a little bit lower. A lot of it comes down to, is it a retail storefront or is it a remote work type business, more of a service-based business? But there are different ways to fund that. SBA loans are extremely common. Believe it or not, the government still supports small businesses in some formats. But SBA loans, there's what's called a ROBS program, which you may be aware of, that allows you to tap into your retirement funds and self-direct those without the tax implications portfolio loans. You know, and then right now we have record levels of cash on the sidelines. So a lot of people are funding out of pocket as well. And will the franchisor typically fund part of the franchise? They probably prefer to get the franchise fee up front, but are there circumstances when they would do that? There are circumstances. I'm working with a client in Seattle right now that's going through that. I'd say that's not the norm, but again, there's some leeway there and it comes down to the franchisor. As a franchisor, you want to treat all of your kids the same. You don't want to show preferential treatment or great issues you have to deal with. So, you know, they try to be fair across the board, but it could be that they cut out royalties for the first six months. Or if you buy three locations, you get the fourth free. I mean, there are other ways of going about supporting the franchisees on the financial side, maybe other than just funding it themselves. So can we take ServPro as maybe an example? If I buy a ServPro franchise and I fork over a hundred grand, what do I get for that? Do I get the trucks? Do I get the accountants? Do I get the marketing? What can I expect? The range that I gave there of a hundred thousand to 300,000, that would be reflected in the item seven of the franchise disclosure document. Every franchise system has an FDD, as we call it, because they're regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. So the goal is to really provide an eyes wide open view going in. So if you're purchasing into a Surpro, as you said, you would have a range of what the expectation is, not only on the financial side of how you can perform, but also what is that investment. And so when I quote those numbers, that's an all-in investment franchise fee that would include your working capital, startup cost. And then really a business like that, your variable is going to be, do you finance or lease that truck out of the gate or do you buy it outright? That's going to be your biggest cost variable in a service-based business. But no, what you get when you buy into a franchise you get the brand, you get the support, the training, and then you get to tap into intellectual property. You know, a lot of know-how that goes on and you sign up front to make sure that you don't then take it and run somewhere else. You know, the franchisor is very well protected, but no, it's the path and the playbook and then that support along the way that would be the heart of it. So I would have to go find my own accountant and I would maybe start my own LinkedIn account that related to the business, and but I'd have to check with them to see if that was okay to have a LinkedIn account because of their branding, right? Most franchise brands have an in-house marketing team. And that's one of the benefits you get is they're supporting you in that regard. They still let you do some of the local marketing, the grassroots type efforts, potentially LinkedIn if it's a B2B type business. However, if it's a business consumer, you know, there are going to be other paths and they're going to suggest, hey, in your first month, here are the marketing tactics you want to do here in the first six months. And then when you expand, and so it really builds on each other. And again, you follow that playbook, you know, but there is some leeway. I will say this, when I was at Shelf Genie and we worked with hundreds of franchise locations across the U.S., those that stick closest to the system were our best franchisees. And it sounds cliche, but they their performance was typically stronger than our average. Passage to profit. We're here with John Austinson, CEO of Franbridge Consulting. He's among the top 1% of national franchise brokers. So Kenya, you must have some questions rolling around in your mind about franchising. I do actually. I actually went through a yogurt phase of wanting to own a yogurt store for a while and someone beat me to the punch. I had looked at a space and and didn't have the resources at the time. And someone actually opened one up and it's been open for the last five years. One of the things I thought about though, when I was looking to go the franchise model versus going rogue is like, what are some of the benefits of doing it through a franchise via just kind of recreating the whole thing on your own and going rogue? Well, first off, I'd say the data doesn't lie. Over 90% of those that launch are still in business five years later. We all know the stats on startups less than 10%. So your odds of success are a lot better because 
you're really starting out of the gate in business for yourself, but not by yourself. You've got that franchisor is coaching you. You've got other franchisees you're learning from. And again, you receive a higher multiple on average at the end of the day. Now, are you paying for that support along the way via a royalty? You are, but is that replacing you having to staff for certain positions or learn things the hard way? So, you know, we certainly look at those trade-offs and not every franchise system is created equal. And that's where having the relationships and the experience that we do across hundreds of brands in different industries, knowing those franchisors, knowing the teams representing them, we're really able to look behind the scenes versus if you were to just start Googling today and you see the best foot forward from every marketing and franchise system out there. Well, let's take it from a slightly different perspective. Suppose you have a business and you want to franchise it. What kinds of businesses are amenable to being franchised and what should a business owner consider if they'd like to take their business? business to the next step. First off, I always encourage business owners, and I'm a member of the entrepreneurs organization, so I have these conversations a lot, but I encourage them to think of their business as a franchise, whether or not they ever do franchise it. You know, if you put the systems in place, the training, the support personnel, how do you scale to a multi-location model? That's one consideration. But no, franchising makes a lot of sense for a lot of businesses. And those that I've helped have cited a few things. One, it's a great way to scale using other people's money. You always want other you know, people to work for you to think like the owners. Well, now you've got folks that know their local market. They're actually putting skin in the game. So you're able to scale more rapidly using others' resources. Then at the end of the day, private equity loves franchising. You know, if you do some Googling, you'll see the acquisitions that are happening across North America right now. Private equity is scooping up franchisors right and left, putting money into the system and really scaling. But no, it's a wide variety of industry, Richard, circling back to your questions. Uh, you know, we see everything from the traditional oil changes, let's say, to in food concepts to a chiropractic clinic that I just helped franchise. They had 12 corporate locations. They said, let's go grow. Uh, just worked with a flooring company to go through the process. You even have some B2B consultancy type businesses as well. So it's a wide, wide variety, dozens of industries. And oftentimes, you know, businesses don't consider franchising as a way to scale until they're introduced to the idea. If I'm looking to become a franchisee, first of all, you said that your service of matchmaking is free for the franchisee. Is there a vetting that you do? Do I have to fill out a bunch of questionnaires? Do you do a background check? How do you figure out like which franchise would be right for me? So we have the backdrop of having relationships across the country with franchisors. We see who is doing the deals. And so we're able to do some vetting just naturally based on deal flow, based on the proposition they have. You know, what are their competitive advantages in the market? What's their financial model? What is the experience of their leadership team? That is a very key piece that we look at. And so when we engage with the client, again, it's entirely free. We get paid by the franchisors on the back end for them. It's a sales and marketing cost. None of that ever gets passed on to our clients in any way. What we'll do is we'll spend a little bit of time on the phone asking questions. We kind of know which way to take the conversation. We'll then have them fill out a questionnaire. And then we jump right into looking at opportunities. Typically a week later, we'll walk through you know, typically eight to 10 opportunities that are available in their market that fit their criteria and that we see resonating with others with similar backgrounds. From there, we work with them to narrow it down to somewhere between two and four opportunities to actually make an introduction, have a call with the franchisor, start their exploratory process. They can drop out at any given time, but inevitably what they rank as number three becomes their number one after they have that call. And so it can be an iterative process where we bring additional opportunities in to introduce to them as they're developing that framework and that lens through which to evaluate opportunities. You know, that's a skill set and a muscle that most people aren't used to. But once they start comparing option A versus option B, it brings things to mind and their thinking evolves along the way. 
Earlier, John, you mentioned virtual franchises. Can you tell us a little bit more about how virtual franchises work? Absolutely. And definitely something coming out of COVID, you know, the themes I'm hearing are, hey, what delivers the highest return on investment with the fewest number of people? And oftentimes they're saying, hey, what business will allow me to not have a customer facing retail setup? I think there's still a lag from COVID. Everyone remembers, you know, some of the retail businesses that did get hit. However, so many thrived during that time. And you know, I just point as an example to the $600 billion a year home services and property services market. Everything from the gutters that I mentioned to pool cleaning to I'm a franchisee of a driveway company. We don't even have to market that business because there's such demand out there. They find us organically. So all sorts of niches around renovating, or, you know, I just had a client up in New York. He was a pharmacist, mid forties, had built up a FedEx route business on the side, had 26 FedEx trucks. He came to me and said, hey, I want to get into the home services space. We looked at 10 different opportunities together. He narrowed it down, eventually purchased a garage renovation business, the flooring, the cabinetry, everything. And just saw an opportunity in the market for that. So definitely a lot of interest. And that's a business where he doesn't have to have a physical location or footprint. Eventually, as he scales, he may have one, but it's going to be more on the back end. It's going to be for team meetings, for inventory, for supplies, but it's not going to be customer facing high cost retail. And you say real estate is also a place where franchising is very popular. I guess if I think about it, I think about Caldwell Banker and some of the big real estate companies. Mm -hmm. Are those franchises also? Yeah, many of them are. You know, Keller Williams is another example. And, and I would say that more than half of my clients have investment real estate, I mean, myself included. And they're either looking for businesses that complement their core business and some of the relationships they may have in the market, or they're looking for businesses that diversify from that. So in some cases, they're looking to keep their day job and run a business as a side hustle where they put a general manager in place day one. In some cases, they're looking to make the jump and make a career change and actually run it themselves. But no, quite a few businesses. We just had a Keller Williams client that has a brokerage here in Atlanta that purchased a property management business to complement the real estate business. In his case, he could have started the business himself. But he said, hey, I've been there, done that. I'd rather, again, start on third base and uh, be able to get out of the gate faster. We provide a little coaching, a couple of calls a week. It's a beautiful model when you get it set up right. That's amazing. Well, this has been very informative. I know that a lot of our listeners would find this possibility attractive. How can they get in touch with you if they have more questions? Yeah, as a first step, come out to our website, frambridgeconsulting.com. On the website, sign up for our monthly newsletter. We deliver some great content every month. If you'd like to engage, happy to jump on a quick call as well and just kind of help you to determine, does it make sense to enter this process? Secondly, we have a book coming out in Q3 that we're really excited about, the book on non-food franchising. And so if you sign up for our newsletter, we'll make sure that all of your listeners get a copy of the book as well. Thanks again. We'll be back with more Passage to Profit. Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart here right after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, eVine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventing a toz.com inventing a to z.com email me lisa at inventing a to z.com treat yourself to a day chock full of networking education music shopping and fun go to my website inventing a toz.com 
There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. It's time for Fireside and Power Move. So Kenya. For Power Move, we're going to talk about Bill Spirill. He is a tech CEO. He actually just sold his global data consortium for an undisclosed huge sum, and he made 20 of his employees millionaires. So I thought that was a really big power movement and and nice of him. Right. So when he first started the company, he was only able to raise five million from investors, which left the company's equity in the hands of the employees. And he and Data Global made sure that the employees had enough equity and significant enough payout to be able to become millionaires. So I thought that was great. And he's actually retiring as CEO so that he can continue to focus on boosting minority talent in the tech space. So I thought that was a good power move for today. I think if a CEO goes into it, it, looking for ways to do well by their team and lift them up. Their chances of success are always so much better. He obviously capitalized on that. For sure. And what's up with Fireside? For those of you who don't know what Fireside is, it's actually Fireside Directory. It's a video directory of small businesses. And I've been working on it for a couple of years now. I was doing interviews of people in the studio and then COVID hit. So I started doing them over Zoom and I've been developing it ever since. And I wrote a patent application for it, which was a provisional application. So that means I can add stuff to it for a year. And then I have to file what's like the real one, which is the utility application. So I have some new ideas to add to it. Actually, Kenya and I were talking about stuff and Kenya is so creative and intuitive. I mean, it just kind of led me to think of some more things. I'm going to add to the patent application before I submit the real one. But also I was so excited to have John on here today because my original idea with Fireside was to franchise it to get people to do interviews. And I have a set way to do the interviews that I would give to people. I need to have some software written to do it. But I kind of abandoned that idea when everything started over Zoom. But now I'm thinking there's no way I could do all the interviews. And I was thinking people have videos, but they don't have videos done the way that I would do them that would have marketing techniques and SEO techniques built into them. So the franchise model is still open for Fireside Directory. That's great. So I get to introduce our next presenter. I have to say Bonzi Lakani with Healing Hand Scrubs. He sent me some of his scrubs and you don't have to be a nurse to wear them, although they are made for nurses and people that work in the healing space, but they are so comfortable this fabric i know he worked really hard to get this fabric right these are amazing and our daughter's a nurse and she is definitely getting some of these from us so we want to hear your story bansi welcome thank you thank you elizabeth for the kind words i am bansi lakani the founder 
and create a spark here at Healing Hands. Healing Hands, we produce, we design and produce very comfortable, stylish, functional uniforms that bring in a smile on a healthcare worker's face every single time they put our clothing on. I would say gratitude opens the door to so many blessings. Back in 1997, I had a massive open heart surgery. The doctors told me I was one in a million people who would survive such a big heart attack. Fast forward, I would say I am still alive at 25 years later, all due to the nurses who gave me such wonderful motherly love and care. And I recovered from the massive heart attack. While I was recovering uh, in the hospital, I could sense that what they were wearing was uh, not comfortable. It was very stiff looking. It was boxy. Just by visual, I could say that the fabrics were pretty scratchy and it would not make her comfortable wearing them. So I figured, what can I do to pay back these beautiful caregivers? A thought came to my mind that all I know is how to make beautiful clothing because of my sportswear background. So I vowed that when I get out of the hospital, I am going to start making beautiful, stylish, functional uniforms for the caregivers. And that's how Healing Hands was born. Beautiful fitting garments that I wouldn't say it's a crime to call them scrubs, but anybody can wear them. They are so stylish. You could actually wear them anywhere, going out for dinner or to the mall or even lounging at home. And Elizabeth, you have witnessed <laughs> the well, clothing so, uh, for yourself. <laughs> I wanted to say they are stylish and sounds crazy, but this is really true. When I looked at myself in the mirror, I did look 10 pounds lighter. I'm not kidding. Like they really, they fit. And the way that the pants are cut and stuff, it gives you a very slimming silhouette. Well, they're going to be flying off the shelves like hotcakes after you said that. But you could also work out in these. Like these would be great workout clothes too. Yes. So basically nowadays, everything is athleisure inspired. So obviously with the trend, the styling and the fabrication, the fitting, everything is towards athletics. So yes, people do wear our clothing, even for yoga. You sent me this wonderful little booklet that had pictures of your scrubs in it and some inspirational things. And I just want to read something from it. In 2020, Healing Hands donated over 4.5 million units of scrubs and PPE to hospitals and healthcare facilities in need across the U.S. That is amazing. You talk about gratitude and giving back. That's wonderful. Yes, we believe in gratitude and good karma and doing the right thing. I think everybody should give back to the world. And I am very blessed. I would say I'm in a position to give back. The pandemic was just the right timing, perfect timing, perfect opportunity to give back. We saw on television how in the beginning time of pandemic, the hospitals were struggling to get PPE. So we jumped on the bandwagon with all our connections in China, imported a lot of PPE. PPE is personal protective equipment that are needed in the hospitals. We brought in tons of headgear and masks, which we donated to several hospitals, healthcare facilities, nursing homes, several million dollars worth. Plus, we also donated 30,000 scrubs because the healthcare workers 
had to change the scrubs very often because of COVID. Right, so, they didn't even wear them home. Like our daughter wouldn't wear her scrubs home. I can see that John yes, is so, eager to ask a question. Bonzi, I, I just want to say, I try to live my life by the mantra of, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected, that whole idea of stewardship. And I mean, you're doing it firsthand. So I just applaud what you've done and what you're doing. We've done plenty, but I still think there is so much more to be done. We encourage not only as a company, but even in person, even my whole family, everybody is into giving back and it feels good. You actually don't lose out anything. Whatever you give, you get much, much more in return. So this is just, I guess, God's way of giving you back what you gave and it comes back multifold. Of course, I'm not giving so that I get multifold, but God has been very kind. You said you can wear them anywhere. I wonder if I could have wore them to the Met Gala the other night. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll send you some and then you'll be the judge. I have a question for you about the material because, you know, scrubs are like notoriously kind of rough, like you said. What's the difference between your material that you use versus some of the other competitors out there? So in the olden days when I was in the hospital and even now I still see them around, mainly it was a poly cotton based stiff fabric because obviously in those days it was designed so that it can last for many, many many, many, many washes. Even today, we design it to be washed many, many times. But technology has changed. Today, most of the scrubs are made with polyester and blends of polyester with rayon, polyester with tensile, polyester with cotton. And stretch is very important. So spandex is incorporated in the fabrics. Therefore, today, you cannot distinguish between, uh, let's say, uh, a Lululemon fabric and our fabric. You have to have a pretty big inventory. So for people who are thinking about clothing lines, how do you effectively manage all of those SKUs? And maybe you can explain to our audience what an SKU is. So SKU is a style, a color, and a size. If you make a collection of, let's say, five different styles, and then, as I was mentioning earlier, there are 14 common standard colors in America that are worn in the hospitals. So if you make a collection that has 14 colors, five styles, and then you have sizes which go from extra, extra small to 5X, So that is so many SKUs, right? Then there are lengths in the pants, which is a short length, petite length, regular length, and tall length. So that's adding to the SKUs. So by the time you put one collection together and you want to make it available to most hospital colors and you want to cater to all of them, then the number of SKUs is tremendous. So many SKUs. And then you have to have them in stock because the retailers, they don't want to wait. They want to order today and they want the goods to be shipped out within 24 to 48 hours. So you have to have that much inventory and you have to forecast your demand. So to keep three months inventory on hand and then with all the logistics issues that are happening these days, supply chain and logistic issues, your inventory is multi-million dollars. Now, of course, you don't have to choose to cater to all the hospitals. Obviously, then your volume is not going to be that much and the retailer would not be very interested in carrying your brand or product because they want to cater to all the hospitals, all the requirements of the colors. And it's not only the hospitals, there are doctor's offices, dentists, 
so many other caregiving facilities that require scrubs and then they have their own requirements. So SKUs is a nightmare. Of course, thanks to the computers that nowadays everything is computerized and we can manage that data. But if I think back 40 years ago, when I started my sportswear business, everything was in this computer right here in my brain, (laughs) brain. the style numbers and, and sizes and colors. And then, of course, at that time, you did not have that many SKUs or that many styles because we were catering to just a fast-moving fashion industry, whereas uniforms, you have to have the consistency of the colors, of the sizes, of the styles. It's a whole different mindset of managing production and inventory. Where are you selling these? And I know you're selling them from your website, but are you selling them in stores or hospital supply stores or anywhere else? Currently, we are not selling the product to the consumers from our website, but soon, I would say in next three or four months, we will be launching our own website direct to the consumers. However, our whole model is to help the brick and mortar. We are launching this website just more, I would say, from brand awareness point of view and also to get to that consumer who does not have the brick and mortar close to them. Our whole philosophy is basically to drive the business to the moms and pops, the uniform retailers that are across the country. For the consumers who are looking for our product, in the website, there is store location. So you put in your zip code and it will show you the nearest store, uh, uniform store that carries our product. Okay. So your website is healinghandsscrubs.com. What a wonderful thing you're doing. I would encourage anybody listening to look for these, even if you're not a nurse, if you know a nurse, like who doesn't know somebody in the healthcare profession these days. So send them to the website, find a store, go try these on. You'll be so glad you did. Listeners who are listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We just heard from Bonzi Lakani, and we have our special guest with us, John Austinson today, and we will be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gear. Heart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Now we are on to another presenter, Wen Mueni. Unless you've talked to Wen, I bet you don't know anything about this. So you want to hear about this. Wen, please tell us what you have and how you came up with this idea. This is amazing. Yeah, I'm with Hercleon. We do biology-based bed sheets. And so it was kind of like a long journey to get to here. But um, essentially, most people buy bedding and everything kind of based on the material or the thread count or whatever, whoever has the best marketing, basically. And 
to me, that's useless because unless you're very well educated on exactly how those sheets are made or, you know, which materials they're using, it's really hard to know exactly what is necessarily the best bed sheets. And to me, the best bed sheets are the ones that allow you to fall asleep fastest, stay asleep longest and get up from the most rested. That's the best bed sheets. And so that's what we designed for just based on those goals for everybody, basically. What are some of the different products that you have? So we have, you know, jack sheets for men. That was one that was on Shark Tank. We have lunar linens that are coming out today for menopause. We have Jill for women. We have Swanson's for seniors. We have Skylar for students, like college students high school students and baba for babies so we have a few options and they're they all depend on on your again your body how, do, how is your body working the funny the hardest one was actually women's sheets because women's bodies change quite drastically throughout life for between every phase of life you know as you guys know i'm not trying to explain it um but yeah so <laughs> when we were trying to make women's sheets when people were asking like why do you have men but not women and i'm like because it's not easy not very direct you cannot just say women because he's like which woman are you talking about pregnant no that doesn't apply to a woman that's not pregnant it's not the same situation for their sleep experience so yeah we do that we do a lot of research on the body and all that I see that you sold out of the sheets for people after they work out. And the elderly sheets are super important. When my grandma, she was 96 years old when she died. And the only thing I could really get her was really good sheets. And so I got her 600 thread count sheets because your skin gets so thin when you get older. So I can imagine these are amazing for people as they age. Most people have to keep a few things in mind when you get older. As you said, their skin gets thinner. So their ability to keep their temperature high is really difficult. The second is that they are more prone to getting sick. Their immune system is not as effective. So you have to keep the, the bacteria level in their bed as low as possible. Because let's say they're sharing a bed and the partner is sick and now the partner's bacteria is going to be on the bed. And in a bed setting, bacteria multiplies at a very rapid rate because your bed has a lot of surface area and a lot of humidity from your body when you sleep at night, which means bacteria can replicate itself really quickly. So we designed the senior sheets to make sure they have the best for their body temperature, for their health. And also when you get older, your internal clock becomes a little bit more confused. Reducing what would make you wake up while you sleep is also really good. It's like smells and whatever it is, you know, friction, all that, you know. So yeah, we, we had a good time with that one. My grandparents, I want to make sure my grandparents again, the best sleep at night. So <laughs> you had sheets for like college kids that they didn't have to wash for a long time, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, college kids aren't, I'm not saying I was not anyway, I'm saying I was not informed on the requirements of washing your sheets all the time. I was like, <laughs> once a semester, maybe twice a semester or whenever I had, a, you know, after a guest that came over, you know, whatever, you know, I did it when I had to. <laughs> no one told me, no one gave me the memo that it was a requirement to clean it all the time. So now I know, but yes, college students. And also because they're so stressed from the lack of sleeping because they're partying too much or studying too much or whatever they're doing in college, that lack of sleep makes them very immune to much weaker. So college kids are actually prone to getting more sick than if they're at home because of the fact that they're always so stressed out from school, from socializing, from whatever. So having antibacterial sheets or whatever it is that improves their overall like sleep environment for them, also the lack of washing helps them maybe, you know, get less likely to be sick at school or miss class and then fail or not have a girlfriend or whatever it is. We're helping everything. Also acne too, of course. You're bringing back all sorts of memories for me when I... <laughs> but the idea though, is the sheets are more specifically tuned, I guess, to the different body types and the different requirements. And you use different materials in the sheets, depending on the type of person that would be using them. What are some of the more common materials that go into the sheets that make them specially tuned, like for an athlete? 
as compared to just normal bed sheets? What kinds of things would you normally do? I try to avoid polyester, macrofiber, all those things, because I want to make sure I am reducing my carbon because microplastic pollution is getting quite out of hand. And so it's our responsibility as textile producers to make sure we're doing the cleanest material we can possibly do for everything we make. So which is what's really a problem for menopause sheets, because when we're making menopause sheets, the night sweats were a big thing. And polyester and microfiber will be the best in that scenario. But for me, I don't think the cost of polluting the planet is worth the benefit of, you know, creating the most ideal particularly. So it took me two years to figure out which material could I use that achieves the same goal without having the pollution problem. Let's say athletes, the athlete sheet. So one of the things that NASA did when they were going to space was how did they keep their astronauts comfortable while they're in space? And so they invented a lot of really unique um, technology you know, face-changing materials, far-infrared reflecting materials, all these different things that NASA was working on for the spacesuits. We look in the research of that and how can we put that into sheets? And so we've made a lot of really cool stuff. And right now we're talking to the soccer team to kind of provide them with our sheets so that their players could sleep better and recover faster so they're more active on the field. And we're going to provide some more sheets to NFL players. So we're giving this out, providing it for all these athletes to reduce the amount of time it requires them to recover from their workouts and whatever. That's great. Yeah. So John, did you have a question or comment? Yeah. yeah. When we recently started working with the franchise that is in the mattress industry, and they actually manufacture custom mattresses and different levels of firmness, and then they have the retail floor as well. And so I've seen firsthand how the sleep business is growing. So first off, I love the segment that you're in. From a distribution channel standpoint, similar to what we're talking about with Bonzi, you know, what's been your target or secret sauce to how you've gotten the product to market? I have to assume there's a lot of educating that goes on because this is a unique in the space. Have you formed national partnerships that help you on the distribution side? No, I don't know if I said this at the beginning of our show, but I'm quite lazy. And so um, <laughs> I avoid extra work if yeah. I have to. And so once we have a design and whatnot, we honestly don't do a whole lot of extra stuff. We just, we make it and then we make it available and our customers come to us. We don't do a lot of marketing. We don't do a lot of much anything else. We just kind of just have fun. We create, we make sure we make the best things possible. And by making the best things possible, people will come to you and say, hey, I want that. I want to have the best sleep possible. And so even for me, I don't sleep on anything but my own sheets. Even when I travel, when I went to Shark Tank, I had to bring my own pillowcase with me because I'm like, I know no matter how nice a hotel they're putting me in, they don't have sheets as good as mine. So I'm going to go ahead and bring my own stuff just for that. So what happened at Shark Tank? I was called the best pitch ever. So if you want to go on YouTube and look up the best pitch ever, you will see me there. And yeah, I had a good time. Congratulations. That's wow. amazing. I do want to know where people can buy your sheets. Where can I get a set of these? Oh, yeah. I mean, our website, hercleon.com. H-E-R-C-L-E-O-N.com. Passage to Profit, The Road to Entrepreneurship with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And we will be right back. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are 
passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. I just learned so much and I thought our guests were so engaging. Um, And more things to spend money on. (laughs) (laughs) Make our lives better. So we started with John Austinson, Fran Bridge Consulting. So F-R-A-N bridgeconsulting.com. If you're thinking about going into business, you need some help. You should talk to John about getting a franchise. He matches people up with franchises. And if you're looking for a franchise, he doesn't charge you anything. So I thought that was a fascinating conversation. And then we had Bonzi Lakani with Healing Hands Scrubs, healinghandscrubs.com. Now, if you go to his website, you can find out where you can buy them in a physical store because he wants you to try them on. He wants you to support small businesses, brick and mortar businesses. But I'll tell you, he sent me some and these are amazing. If you know anybody in healthcare, they've got little messages in them of encouragement for the healthcare providers, but they look and feel super good. Healing Hand Scrubs is a very spiritual company. Each piece of clothing has an inspirational message sewn into it. So hopefully whoever is putting on the clothes, sees that message, and they're reminded to be grateful. And then we had Wen Yunyi. His only problem is with her Cleon, he keeps selling out. <laughs> he has sheets that incorporate technology in a way that I really haven't seen a lot of before that are specific to your physical characteristics. And they help you sleep better because they're kind of responsive to like whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, whether you're elderly, whether you're an athlete, whether you're in a dorm room, etc. So if you go to his website, H-E-R-C-L-E-O-N.com, you should be able to find some in the near future and then just follow him to see where you can get them after that. Before we go, I'd like to ask for final comments from our guest, John. Any parting words for our audience? Yeah, you know, I, I'm encouraged every day. You know, when I look across North America, we've got more and more people looking to become business owners and start businesses and create jobs. And so I think for the U.S., a lot of bright spots, a lot of opportunity in the road ahead. So we just love making it happen, helping people step into entrepreneurship and feel blessed to get to do that. Kenya? Yeah. So today was really about, you know, innovation and the power of the personal experience, right? So that's what franchising is all about. That's what Bonzi's, you know, ideation is all about with his scrubs and when with his sheets, you know, everything is an experience. And if you give people the right experience, they keep coming back for more and more and more. I'd also like to give a shout out to our producer, Noah Fleischman, Alicia Morrissey, our program director, and Mark Wilson, our syndication manager. And we'll be back next week for another episode of Passage to Profit. And if you have trouble remembering our show name, just imagine walking down a long passage with a pot of gold at the end, Passage to Profit. Our podcast of the show can be found tomorrow anywhere you find your podcast. So just look for the Passage to Profit show. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, while the information you heard during this program is believed to be correct, never take a legal step without consulting with an attorney. Enjoy your journey on the road to entrepreneurship. And with that, I'm Richard Gearhart with my co-host, Elizabeth Gearhart, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Passage to Profit. 